0: fly around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets, and chard, chicken. Watch it steam and crack and pop Cornbread bacon in that stove Bring it to the TNC farm table Pick them maters good and ripe Drop black and candy stripes Look at them loading down those vines Bring it to the TNC farm table Bring it to the TNC farm table
1: welcome to the tennessee farm table a show that is dedicated to the people of our appalachian region who produce prepare and preserve our regional foods and agricultural products this is your hostess amy campbell The theme song that you just heard was sung and arranged by that talented Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee. We are setting the table today with the preservation of Appalachian foodways. My guest is John Tulloch of Knoxville. He grew up on a farm and helped his grandmother in the kitchen in Greenville, Tennessee. And we're going to discuss his latest book entitled Appalachian Cooking, new and traditional recipes, and John will also share his way of making succotash. We'll also get to hear from Dee and Jim Brown. They own and run Honey Rock Herb Farm in Louisville, Tennessee, and Dee's going to share her recipe for sage cornbread. Fred Sausman shares a potluck radio segment about the beloved Hobnob Drive-In. It opened in 1952, and I've got news about the 17th annual Wayne Scott Strawberry Festival, and that's going on today in Unicoi, Tennessee. Thank you so much for tuning in today by radio or podcast. I'm just so happy to have you sitting with us at our big Tennessee table. Now let's get started. I'd like to introduce you to my first guest, Knoxville resident John Tulloch. John teaches classes on food gardening for the University of Tennessee Gardens and gives presentations throughout East Tennessee. He's the author of more than 15 how-to books, including Pay Dirt, How to Make $10,000 a Year from Your Backyard Garden, plus Idiot's Guides on Vegetable Gardening, The New American Homestead, Sustainable and Self-Sufficient Living in the City or County. And in 2006, the American Horticultural Society honored his book, Growing Hardy Orchids, with an American Horticultural Society Award. John blogs regularly about food gardening and sustainable living at johntulloch.blogspot.com. He is a self-employed, sustainable technology consultant with clients in the United States and Italy. You may have heard John along with master gardener Sue Hamilton on their former gardening radio show in the not-too-distant past. John is such a nice person with a calm and deeply rooted demeanor, and he's just a joy to visit with. And again, the book that we're going to be discussing today is his latest, Appalachian Cooking, New and Traditional Recipes. So let's get to know him and hear about this book right now. Tell us a little bit about your background where you're born and raised.
2: I grew up in Greenville Tennessee uh, that's about uh, 80 miles to the northeast of Knoxville up at the foot of the uh, mountains there and uh, I lived there my entire life until I graduated from high school and came here to attend the University of Tennessee in 1968 and I've lived in Knoxville ever since. So I've lived in Knoxville longer than I lived in my hometown. By a long shot. <laughs> um, after I graduated here, I taught for the university. I went to graduate school, and then I taught for the university for a while. And then I left and went into private business. But uh, but my background is Greenville, and uh, grew up on a farm up there, not in the city. My grandfather farmed the same land that his grandfather farmed, and although it was, by that time, the original tract had been broken up amongst uh, family members as different people died and the brothers and sisters divided up the property but my grandfather still at that point had about 50, uh, 50 acre farm which was sufficient to grow a cash crop of tobacco and then lots of other uh, crops We had, of course all the usual things and cows and hogs up until I was maybe a teenager, and we still had hogs. And always chickens, always a huge vegetable garden. I remember a lot of times of helping my grandmother with various chores. She would put up massive quantities of tomatoes and green beans and mm-hmm. things like that in the summer, and I would always have to do gopher jobs, you know, for her. <laughs> so. Uh,
1: oh, yeah, keep you busy. And-
2: yeah, my grandfather, we had... Uh, yellow transparent apple trees that made june apples i believe and my grandfather then would make apple butter out of those in a big old cast iron kettle outside uh, on an open fire Uh, so it wasn't easy i don't suppose it was an easy life i was very sheltered from all of the we lived next door, my parents and I lived next door to my grandparents in a modern house that was built in 1954 and so we had all of the conveniences that were available then but then we stepped down to my grandparents' house and it was sometime after that that they actually got an indoor bathroom. So a uh, they still had a, a, an outdoor bathroom uh, probably as late as 1960. Mm. The, uh, but it gave me kind of the best of both worlds my mother was a bookkeeper my father was a television repairman mm-hmm. and then I grew up there on that farm so I got the best of both I guess across the road as you well know from the college is uh, there's a grocery store that's been there forever and ever and my grandfather used to he was good friends it was Dobson's Grocery he was good friends with George and, and Myrtle Dobson and uh, we would take eggs uh, that my uh, grandmother, you know, harvested from our chickens. We'd take a bucket uh, of eggs to the grocery store and trade them to George uh, for uh, things like salt or oatmeal that, you know, we couldn't produce there on the farm. I remember walking with him and him carrying that bucket of eggs. I wasn't much taller than than where he was holding the bucket, you know, but uh, (laughs) I can certainly remember doing that. People would think you were crazy if you went in the grocery store now and said, I've got eggs. Could you <laughs> we swap with for some oatmeal or bacon or something like that?
1: What good memories. Oh, yeah. Now, today we're talking about your book, Appalachian Cooking, New and Original Recipes. And I'm excited about this book. And I like
2: this book, too. Uh, of course, I, I love to eat. Anybody that can take one look at me and tell me I like it and, and tell that I like to eat. But... Uh, it's lots of uh, traditional recipes that probably uh, the only other place you'll see some of them is if you have an old church cookbook from back in the day because it's the kind of food that people made to take to events like church suppers and so forth. And then there's the basic things. Uh, i said many, many times that if you want to really get down to the basics of the uh, cooking in this part of the country, it's about beans and cornbread. Uh, a lot of people that I know grew up, that's what we had every day. Uh, so, uh, look at the restaurant menus around here, how many restaurants you can find that still offer that as an option on the menu. So, um, we talked about, talk about that, and all the different ways there are to make cornbread, plus desserts. Uh, our desserts are simple, but boy, they're loaded with sugar and fat, aren't they? <laughs>
0: The good ones are. The
2: good ones are,
0: yeah. (laughs) Apple stack
2: cake's probably the real classic, and it's not as bad as some Mm -hmm. uh, might be. uh,
1: Mm -hmm. Is your recipe with dried apples? How is it?
2: Dried apples, yeah. uh I I don't think it really is a genuine apple stack cake unless you make it out of dried apples. And and, uh, the other thing, if you're making apple stack cake, you can't cheat. You you have to bake each layer individually. And if you don't have uh, six or eight... uh, cake pans you have to take take all afternoon and bake them and then let the pan cool down and bake two more layers and let the pans cool down but it's worth it you know it's when you're done you've got 12 servings of something that's really really delicious and really unique I mean uh,
1: well if you're going to choose an apple to dry in order to then cook down to make your filling for your apple stack cake what kind of apple would you reach for
2: you know any heirloom that was grown locally as a cooking apple that would be my first choice regardless of what variety but if you're limited to shopping in the grocery store Cortland is by far and away the best drying apple and I know the grocery store that I shop at has them every season there they come in later than like your galas and your granny smiths show up early but the Cortland's don't show up until closer to Christmas, usually. Okay. And they dry very successfully in the oven. I give instructions in the book how to do that, and that's the variety that I use. They won't brown after you cut them as quickly as most kinds of apples, so you don't have to put a lot of lemon juice or anything on there. You can just slice them up and put them on the baking sheet and put them in the oven and let them dry, and they'll turn golden brown, but they won't get color of apple butter like would happen if you used something like a red delicious apple.
1: If in your book you have written the most beautiful foreword, do you mind to read that? Sure,
2: I don't mind at all. To the brave women who came with their men into the Appalachian wilderness, who planted the gardens and raised the children and cooked and laid by and never wasted, and who made one-room cabins into loving homes... The author extends his heartfelt gratitude. Thank you mother, thank you grandma, and thanks to the many who came before.
1: Boy, that says it all, doesn't it?
2: Yes, it sure does. The uh, Not only did those women participate in everything about farming, they also had to keep up with the children and the chickens and the vegetable garden and all of that as well. Uh, it makes you wonder how anyone ever found time to do anything. But it seems they had a lot more leisure time than we do, than we do.
1: <laughs> We're too busy checking our phones.
2: Yes, that's true. That's true. I don't think my grandparents would have had the faintest idea of what to do with a cell phone.
1: You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and our guest is John Tullock, gardener, author, teacher, expert on growing almost anything, and native son to Greenville, Tennessee. We are discussing today his latest book entitled Appalachian Cooking, New and Traditional Recipes. After a word from our sponsor, Century Harvest Farm Foundation, John will share with us his recipe for succotash. Support for the Tennessee Farm Table is brought to you in part by Century Harvest Farms and Century Harvest Farms Foundation in Greenback, Tennessee. A sustainable farm in East Tennessee producing 100% grass-fed beef and other wholesome farm products. Preservative-free grass-fed charcuterie, preserves, pickles, and jams. Also home to the community-serving, food-insecurity-fighting, Century Harvest Farms Foundation. Details at centuryharvest.org. Let's join back up with my guest, John Tulloch author of Appalachian Cooking New and Traditional Recipes. He's going to share with us a recipe for secotage.
2: Sure, I'd be glad to. Okay. I have one in particular in here that I think says a lot about not just Appalachian cooking itself, but how Appalachian cooking is such a, a mixture of influences The dish that I picked out to talk about is succotash. And that name, succotash, is uh, according to uh, what I have read, is a Narragansett word that means broken corn kernels. So it's quite likely something that was taught to the colonists by the Native Americans but the Narragansetts didn't live anywhere close to uh, Tennessee. They were up in New England where the earliest colonists arrived. So my guess is that this dish had not only been modified by different groups of Native Americans who used added ingredients that were available where they were living, but also has now been modified with influences from uh, European Vegetables that uh, the Native Americans didn't know anything about. Most people think of succotash as sweet corn and lima beans. But the Narragansetts, to whom we are attributing this dish, couldn't have grown lima beans. They won't grow up there. That's a southern vegetable. They need much more warmth and a longer growing season. So the version that we're familiar with has to be something that was regionalized and no telling how long ago uh, that took place but uh, it's really simple Uh, i'm not even going to read the uh, the exact directions but i'll just tell you you want to take onions and saute in a little oil in a skillet and how many recipes do we start with sauteing onions and then once those onions are softened you add your vegetables uh, you can use lima beans and sweet corn, you can use green beans, you can add things like squash, carrots, anything of that nature and uh, that you happen to have in season, bearing in mind that corn is obviously is the essential ingredient. And then stir those together and allow the vegetables to tenderize a little bit and then add some vegetable stock and pop a lid on there and let it steam until the vegetables are tender. Season, Uh, I like to add thyme sprigs, but you could add whatever fresh herb that you happen to have in the garden. Oregano would be good, basil would be good. Those both, all those go well with almost any vegetables. And then when everything's done, you adjust the seasoning with salt and pepper and you've got a side dish uh, that goes with just about anything. Succotage is a good side dish with uh, things like pork chops or uh, old country ham. Biscuits, It's just a good general side dish.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. My guest has been John Tulloch, author of Appalachian Cooking, New and Traditional Recipes. He keeps a blog and adds to it about every week, and that is found at jontulloch.com dot blogspot.com and I've also added a link to that as well as a few links where you can find this book and links to all of my guests and events that I make mention of throughout the show on my website tennesseefarmtable.com under that link that says listen to the show next up we'll hear from Fred Sossman about the Hobnob Drive-In
3: This is Potluck Radio, I'm Fred Saussman. Oh goodness sakes, that's just based on the past. She knows my grandparents. Those kinds of impromptu reunions are everyday occurrences for Ross Jenkins, who owns the Hobnob Drive-In just outside Gate City, Virginia. Ross's grandparents, Bent and L.G. Strong, opened the Hobnob in 1952 and it has never moved from the original location. When it first started out, they had three booths and about seven stools. I asked Ross how his grandparents came up with the unforgettable name, Hobnob. When they were building their original building, the stonemasons were laying the stone around a uh, block at the bottom. And he said, what are, you, uh, what are y'all doing? said well we're you know we're going to build a drive-in restaurant he said well y'all are going to have a hobnob of the time out here and in 67 when they built the bypass my grandparents thought you know it's over like so many places when the four lane goes around you you die off but exactly the opposite happened in the early 70s my grandfather expanded it the menu at today's hobnob is not much different from what Bent and LG Strong served in the 50s, with one exception. Our specialty burger is the emu. Devon Thacker has managed the hobnob for over 30 years, and she knows how to cook emu.
1: We put something over top of it to let it cook a little slower, to let it kind of stay a little juicy because it doesn't have a lot of fat in it.
3: I asked Ross Jenkins how he directs people to the hobnob. If you think you've gone too far, you probably got a little further to go. For Potluck Radio at the Hobnob Drive-In in Scott County, Virginia, I'm Fred Saussman.
1: Let's hear from Dee and Jim Brown. They own and run Honey Rock Herb Farm in Lewisville, Tennessee, and Dee is going to share with us how she likes to make her cornbread with sage. Well, we're talking with Dee Brown, and Dee and Jim own and run Honey Rock Herb Farm here in Louisville, Tennessee. And we're talking about cornbread today. And uh, they raise culinary herbs here at Honey Rock Herb Farm. And I'm trying to pull a recipe out of Dee. <laughs> Dee, you, you let it out of the bag. You told me that you do a good sage cornbread. Well,
0: I don't have a recipe, as many people don't have recipes. But I do like a good cornmeal Locally, if I could get it, good coarse cornmeal. Last I got, I think, was from the uh, farm
1: uh, hickory cane cornmeal. It was really good. And
0: I do it from scratch, not any of the <laughs> instant cornmeal stuff. And I just add some sage to it, either fresh or dried. I like fresh. Just chop it up, and I don't know exactly how much. And another rosemary is also good in cornbread. Yummy. It gives it a good herbal flavor. Yeah. Never put sugar in cornbread. Never put egg in cornbread. I always Mm -hmm. use butter.
1: (laughs) And plenty of it. That does not sound bad. Pretty good cornbread. (laughs) Jim, you like that cornbread? I do.
2: I do like it. The sage cornbread especially, is really good. But, gotta have good butter.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's right. good cornmeal. Well, Dee and Jim, thanks for talking about your cornbread.
0: Thank you, Mamie.
1: Mm-hmm. Here are a few things happening in our area that are specifically farming or food-related and benefiting regional nonprofit organizations in our area. If you're not able to write this stuff down, I've listed all of these events with links and each of my guests at TennesseeFarmTable.com under that link that says Listen to the Show and taking place today, May 18th in Unicoi, Tennessee, is the 17th annual Wayne Scott Strawberry Festival. It runs from 10 until 5 with food vendors, craft vendors, live bands, recipe contest, beauty pageant and kids activities and lots of strawberries. This will be taking place at the Unicoi Elementary School and that's just exit 32 off I-26. Now Wayne Scott passed away in 2008, but two of his five children, Carol, Steve, and David, are carrying on his work and legacy of the Scott Strawberry and Tomato Farm that Wayne Scott and his wife Mary Lou established in 1959. They also grow blueberries and make blueberry preserves made from their own blueberries. Their office, packing house, and Scott's Farm Market are all located in Unicoi, Tennessee, and their motto is, if we didn't grow it, we know who did. They grow a variety of garden vegetables that are picked fresh and delivered straight to the market, and they offer produce both retail and wholesale. Now these folks are not paying for me to mention these things. It's just really worth mentioning for the sake of real, live, quality Tennessee farming. There will be a Solstice Supper benefiting CAC Beardsley Community Farm presented by Y12 Federal Credit Union on Thursday, June the 20th from 6 to 9 at the Mill and Mine in Knoxville, Tennessee. And those tickets are available online. Century Harvest Farms Foundation, located on the farm in Greenback, Tennessee, has created a Helping Hands volunteer program. Their mission is to end food insecurity in rural East Tennessee. Volunteers come out to the farm, join together as a community, and help give everyone access to healthy, fresh food organic foods. And volunteer opportunities are available every weekend Friday through Sunday from 9 to 12 noon at the Farm and Teaching Center in Greenback, Tennessee. Easily sign up at volunteertn.org. And for large groups over five, visit centuryharvest.org. And again, on my website, I've listed all of these events with links, and each of my guests at tennesseefarmtable.com under that link that says listen to the show.
3: This is Alan Benton and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table.
1: Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.